Well, today we do begin our Christmas sermon series, and it is the time of year when we're supposed to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but honestly, don't we celebrate a million other things first? I mean, we celebrate the movies like It's a White Christmas, or every time a bell rings, an angel gets their wings. What movie is that? Yeah, good. And we celebrate the food, right? Like Queen Anne cherries start to come into the stores and tempt me every time I go into them this, this time of year. And we celebrate the decorations and we celebrate the Christmas lights and we celebrate the Christmas music. Or some of you don't celebrate the Christmas music. But, but we celebrate all of these different things. And sometimes it seems that Jesus is forgotten. Now this makes sense. For people who aren't Christians, it just makes sense for them to say, well, I'm going to to look at Jesus' birthday and I'm thankful for it. I'm just going to party crash and I'm going to enjoy all of the good stuff, but I'm not going to worry about Jesus at all. That makes sense for for non-Christians, but Christians, it doesn't make nearly as much sense. And here's the funny part to me is that we get so angry about people wanting to say Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, don't we? We just get super angry about it. But but sometimes, a lot of the times, we're taking Jesus out of Christmas just as much as the people who want to talk about Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. It seems like we just remove Jesus, but then when other people want to do it, we're like, you can't remove my Jesus. And we get just super angry about it. But at the same time, we're like, hey, Jesus... I know this is your birthday party, but can you go hang out in the corner of my life somewhere because I have a lot to do and I don't want you to distract me and I don't want you to bother me. And so don't try to say too much to me through this time of year because I have things going on and I have, I have office parties I need to get to and family parties and I need to buy everybody gifts and I have lots of shopping to do and I want to make sure to bake a lot. And, and so, Jesus, if you would just stay over in the corner, we'll celebrate your birthday over here. And hey, by the way, happy, I mean, Merry Christmas, uh, Jesus, you know? And that's kind of the, the Christian attitude towards Christmas. That's kind of everybody's attitude towards Christmas. And it's funny, it's like the only birthday party we do that about, right? It's like we would never do that to our best friend. I would never have a birthday party for my best friend and say, hey, I'm going to celebrate this party for you, but you go over there and we'll celebrate over here and, and, and I don't want to interact with you too much. So here, here's my theory. And, and I don't know if it's a good theory, but it's a theory that I, I've built this sermon series around. I, I think that, that the reason that even Christians don't care too much about Jesus during the Christmas season, the time when we celebrate His birth, is that we don't really think that the birth of Jesus matters that much. You say, well, yeah, it does. I mean, I believe that. And we might believe it, but I don't think that we feel the weight and the importance, as even as Christians, of Jesus' birth. I think what happens is we go, yeah, Jesus was born so that He could die. And we jump immediately to the Easter season in our minds, and we celebrate that all the year round. And the truth is, his death is very important, it's part of his life, and we cannot break those apart. But I think that we, we fail to feel the weight of just Jesus being born on earth. 
you notice that Easter, most Christians do a much better job of actually celebrating Jesus at Easter, right? I mean, people go to church more during Easter and, and people think about Jesus more during Easter. And we haven't made this grand separation where it's like, well, we're going to put the Easter bunny first and then Jesus. We haven't done that, but we've done that with Christmas because I believe that we don't understand the importance of the fact that Jesus was born on earth. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks, is we are going to study what the Bible says about the importance of Jesus being born and living on this planet. And it will be connected to his death. You see the communion stuff up here. But it will be about things along with his death. Now here's the thing. We're not even going to look at the traditional Christmas passages over the next four weeks. We're not going to study Luke 2. And we're not going to study Matthew 1 where you read about the shepherds and you read about the angels and you read about Mary and Joseph and you read about the donkeys and all of that stuff. We're not going to study that. However, I have made available and I want you to grab one on the way out. Uh, it's from two years ago. I did a full exposition, commentary, notes on the chapter of Luke 2 and the birth of Jesus. And so if you're like, oh, I can't believe we're not studying Luke 2. Well, I provided reading for you. Uh, and instead, what we're going to do with our time together is we're going to look at other passages in the New Testament that aren't about Jesus' birth and the story of it, but instead are about the, the importance of Jesus' birth. And they say, look, Jesus was born, and so here's the great thing about that. And so over the next four weeks, that's our goal. And today we'll begin in Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to get off with a bang because it is one of the best chapters of Scripture in all of the Bible. It is beautiful and wonderful and awesome and all of that. And we'll get to that in a second. But I just wanted to give you this statistic right here. A 2010 survey by Lifeway showed that only 37% of adults included Jesus or God in their response to Christmas is a time to blank. 37%. Now, here's my guess, that a, probably a lot lower percentage actually practiced what they said in that answer, right? And so we're talking a very low percentage care at all about Jesus. And, and, and you go, well, that's terrible. How could people? But, but let me just, before we even look at this passage, and, and maybe I'm uh, beating a dead horse, but before we look at it, I, I just want you to think about how you celebrated last Christmas. Think about the choices and with your time and stuff you put your energy into and the things that you did, the things that you made important. There's not a lot of Jesus there, right? I mean, there's just not a lot of God. There's not a lot of, hey, Jesus came to be born. Got to church. That was cool. Might have done an Advent candle with my family, but, but other than that, kind of forgot about Jesus. And so as we go through these next four weeks and we open our Bibles to Philippians 2 this morning, I'll just be honest. Here's my, here's my whole goal for the next four weeks. It's, it's just this. I want you to understand that Christmas matters more than you have ever thought. And therefore, as you go through this Christmas season, you should really celebrate Jesus and not all of the other stuff that the world tells us we should celebrate. My goal is simply that you will just, just go, wow, I never knew that the birth of Jesus mattered this much, and as it begins to matter more in you, I think you will change the decisions that you make, and you will change the way that you spend your time and all of that. 
So that is my goal. And so if you'll look at me with me at Philippians 2, 1 through 8, I'm just going to break it down verse by verse. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. It's a very important phrase in the whole eight verses. Uh, the word encouragement has two meanings in English and Greek, whatever language you want to look at. One meaning is to offer somebody consolation, right? For example, I would say something like, man, it was really encouraging when that person sent me the note the other day. Right? And so we would say, wow, that was comfort. That person brought comfort to whoever and encouraged them in that way. The other way that encouragement is used, in English even, is to exhort somebody. I encourage you to make better decisions with your life. And you would know, oh, he's encouraging me, but he's, he's really just telling me what I should do. Right? And so encouragement is used in both of those ways in the Bible and in our language. And, and so it becomes a little bit complicated to figure out what he means by if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. But here's, here's the trick. If you were to look back at the ancient Greeks and see how they started to use the word, they actually started to use the word for eternal life. And so it became their concept of encouragement was wrapped up in the fact that after this life was a better one. Let me read you a quote. The good are not dead... Death is the birth of never-ending life, a returning home. On this view, life itself is an exile, with the body as a prison or burden, and death as a joyous liberation. One should thus dwell on the better hereafter, to which the dead have gone, in which they enjoy a heavenly reward and the fellowship of the blessed gods. And so the New Testament, when it starts to use this word encouragement, it, 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 it takes that meaning and it starts to apply it to the Christian faith. And so when you see the word encouragement, not always in the New Testament, but sometimes they're referencing the fact that Christians now have eternal life. They even use the word for preaching the gospel. They sometimes use encouragement for that because they are talking about, sometimes, about people giving their lives to Jesus and therefore having the promise of eternal life forever. And so here's what I think Paul is saying when he writes this book, Philippians, and he, and he says, if you have any encouragement in Christ, what I think he is talking about is the salvation that can come through Jesus if we give our lives to him. I think that is what Paul is talking about. And you'll see that he gives these other three characteristics of things that we might have if we've connected to Jesus. And I think they all hinge on this word encouragement because I think they're all aspects of having a relationship with this man named Jesus who was born during Christmas. And so Paul says, I think in that first line, if you are a Christian, if I can sum it up in a different way, if you are a Christian, and here's the benefits that he begins to list, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now it's tough when you read this to understand what he's talking about because the question is, where are these things coming from and who are they coming to? And when it talks about comfort in his love, is that Paul's love? Or is that the other people's love in their church? Or is that their love that they're giving out? And, and so it becomes complicated. But again, I believe it all hinges on that idea of encouragement being a connection to Jesus in a way that brings salvation. And thus, I believe it's connected to the next phrase where he says, in Christ. And so what I think these, this list is, is a list of things that people get when they come into a relationship with Jesus. And let me just go through them, each one. Comfort in His love. I believe this refers to earthly comfort. The type of comfort that you desire when your heart is broken and things are sad. And I look at Jesus, and just from knowing Him for many years now, I know that He brings that comfort in at least two ways. One way is through the Word of God. And when you open up the Bible, when you read about the love of Jesus, 
you begin to see that Jesus is a very loving person. And you take comfort in that love. I'm not just saying this like hypothetically. I'm telling you, if you need comfort in your life, then just like read Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Just open it up and read it. And, and, and you'll be like, wow. It's so comforting to know that there is someone in the universe that loves me that much. The other way that Jesus brings comfort is through like specific situations where he does things that, that you just wouldn't have guessed and, and, and he just he brings consolation to your soul. And uh, My grandma has told me this story for years and, and it, I think it summarizes. Uh, when her dad died in a car accident, they were sitting around in, in her kitchen or I think in her mom's kitchen and, and they were probably talking about funeral stuff or all those things that you talk about after a loved one dies. And, and so they're working on all of that. And all of a sudden, my grandma could just feel arms wrap around her in a loving way. And she said out loud, my dad is wrapping his arms around me. And the pastor who was sitting there with them wisely said, that's not your dad, that's the arms of Jesus. And it brought her comfort through that time. And Jesus, not always in a way that we feel like physically, but in a a million different ways, brings comfort to us when life is difficult, if we are connected to Him. The next thing that Paul says here is any common sharing in the Spirit. That's the word that's oftentimes translated fellowship. And fellowship, if you look in the New Testament, is very different than the way that people talk about it in churches. In churches, fellowship usually refers to like hanging out. It's like a, Christians love to have their own language, don't they? And, and fellowship is like, like everybody else in the world that doesn't know Jesus would say, I'm going to hang out with that person. But Christians would say, I'm going to have fellowship with that person because it just, doesn't that sound better? Like I'm doing something super holy. We're going bowling. We're going to fellowship, right? Like that's, like everybody else would just call it bowling, but we call it fellowship. Uh, and, and when we read the word in the Bible, that's not actually its meaning. It doesn't just mean hanging out at all. That's, that's not the intent. That's not what the word means. If you go hang out with somebody, you're not like fulfilling some biblical command. You're, you're just hanging out. I hate to tell you. Uh, the word actually means to share in something. And when it's used in the New Testament, it, it's a reference to sharing in somebody's relationship with God. And it's something that, that we don't really like as Americans. Like, I don't want you in my business, and I don't want to be in yours, and I, I'm not going to share my life with you. I'm not going to sit around and cry. and I just don't want any of that. But, but the New Testament says that it's very important that we share in each other's relationships with, with each other, with our relationship with Christ. It's important to the biblical authors and to God, I believe, that, that we come together and we actually help each other and push each other forward and encourage each other in the relationship with Christ that some of us have. And the truth is, that comes in just profound and awesome ways. And I can look around in this church and and see people that I share in my relationship with Jesus with, and I know that I am better, my life is better because of that. And so Paul doesn't look at it and go, hey, you need to fellowship with others. You need to, to have a connected relationship with people that pushes you forward in your relationship with Christ. He's saying that is a benefit of a relationship with Jesus. I know it to be true in my life. I, I have wonderful friends that aren't Christians, but, but there is a, a different level with people that I can sit around and talk about spiritual things with. And then he adds this other one. He says, if any tenderness and compassion, and these words are virtually synonymous, um, 
One means like the bowels. Um, that's cool. I just want to say bowels when I'm preaching. Um, and uh, I'm going to say poop in a minute too. So, um, so, so it means like the bowels. And, and for the Jewish people, that was like the, the seat of the emotions, right? Was, was not your heart. Like we talk about, I love you with all my heart. They would say, I love you with all my bowels. Um, and, and so it's like ugh, everything in there that's not your heart, right? Ugh, it's coming out. And, and so it's a term here for, for just affection for people. Really, both of these terms go together to reference the idea of really caring about others and receiving the care of God. And so what I think, what I think Paul is saying here is that one of the benefits of being in Jesus is that we sense his tenderness and compassion, God's. And we understand how much God genuinely cares about us in our lives. But we also receive that from people in our Christian community, what we call a church. And when you look around in our church, again, not to compliment you guys too much, but I, I see this go on all of the time. I, I see the way that our people genuinely care about others within our congregation, and I can recognize the tenderness and the compassion that has come to our lives through Jesus. Two weeks ago I said that we're charging this year for our Christmas party. We have to because it's here and it's, it's going to cost us a good amount of money to be here. And, and I said, hey, so if you can't pay, let me know and, and we'll work it out. And I said, you know, and if you can pay extra to pay for somebody else's dinner, then, then let me know that too. And I was blown away. We almost could have paid for everybody in our congregation by the amount of people that said, hey, I could buy dinner for, for a couple other people. And it's this, this just symbol of, of the tenderness and the compassion that comes through a relationship with Jesus. I even saw it this morning. Uh, somebody was walking in. I won't say names. And, I, and it was dark. And I saw somebody else just walk over and help guide them and lead them out of the tenderness and compassion of their hearts. And so here, here's what Paul's saying. Big picture. Pretty simple. He's saying, if you have any connection to this baby Jesus, and if that connection has brought you any benefit, then here's what I want you to do. And so we see right, right in the first verse these three things that come through Jesus, but this isn't the big thing yet. This is just three smaller things. If we're connected to Jesus, then we have salvation and we have comfort and we have relationships with others that we could not have before and we have tenderness and compassion in a new way. And he says, if you have those benefits, if you are a person who is connected to Jesus, this baby who was born, then make my joy complete. Now, when he says make my joy complete, it's just rhetorical because Paul, it's funny, in the whole book of Philippians, talks about rejoicing in all circumstances. So Paul is not really saying like, hey, I'm going to sit around sad until you do this. That's not what he's saying at all. He's simply saying, hey, I really want you to do what I'm about to say. And here's what he says. Being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. That's not at all what I thought Paul would have said, to be honest with you. I mean, you set me up, right? I mean, Paul is a big setup. Like, I'm going to set you up. And, hey, if you have any benefit from being connected to Jesus, then make my joy complete. Be united with other Christians. He's got to say something different, doesn't he? Like, Raise your hands higher in church or sing louder or, you know, like become a monk or, I mean, it's got to be bigger, right? Like uh, unity within the, I mean, like is there a, I must have skipped a verse, right? Like somebody, somebody cut one out or, I, I mean, just that's what he says. He says unity. I want there to be unity within the Christian community. 
He uses four words to say the same thing. And we could like take a deep look at the Greek meanings and all of that, but it's totally unproductive because I spent way too many hours doing it this week. And, and virtually they all mean the same thing. They mean be united to the people that are in the Christian community. Have one mind and have one heart and love them just like they should love you. So Paul, I mean, just, just, just grasp this for a second. He says, look, if you are a Christian and you have benefits from your Christianity, which hopefully you do, then I want you to be perfectly united with the people in your church. That's unbelievable to me. And has huge implications. When you study the New Testament, there's this concept that is totally missing from churches today. We've seen it missing in Christianity and in our past as as Christians. And it, it is the fact that unity between believers is absolutely essential to the spreading of the gospel to the world. Jesus even said to his disciples, "Is how people will know that you love me if you love one another. Isn't that crazy? I mean, we don't even talk about that. We don't even think about that. We think of all these other things like how much do you go to church and how much money do you give to your church and, and how much do you serve and all of that stuff. But what Paul is saying, because of the benefits you have in Jesus, you need to be united to others. I think this has just absolutely huge, 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 very, very big ramifications for us as Christians and for our church. I, I think that, that first of all it means that you need to, to remove any discord, any arguments, any problems that you have with people. I mean you really need to, no matter how you feel about somebody or whatever, you, you need to be a person that just says, look, I'm not going to argue about it. And you might not like the way that, that I do things or leadership does things or somebody else does things and that's okay. I mean, that's fine if you disagree with me, but, but there needs to be over above your disagreeing with, with anything. There needs to be love. There needs to be kindness. There needs to be connection. So the first thing that just, it's a huge, huge thing. I mean, is that we say, look, we're not going to be people who talk about each other behind each other's back, and we're not going to be people who, who say, ah, that person is, is just not what I want them to be. We're not going to be people who are like, I'm not going to talk to them this Sunday. We're going to be people who are totally unified. The other thing, because of the strength of the way Paul says this, I mean, when you say four different phrases to say the same thing, you really mean it. It means that we need to take tangible steps to actually unite ourselves to the Christian community. I mean, we need to do things to make sure that we are connected to the people within our congregation and Christians as a whole. For example, here's just something. I mean, I think that people should join connect groups within our congregation. I think that's, that's an essential part of connecting to others, and we've seen the benefits of being in one of those. And it's so easy just to say, oh, I don't have time, I'm too busy and all that. But, but Paul's saying, look, if you have any benefit from Jesus, be connected to others. And we have designed those groups in order that you can connect better to people in our congregation. I think it means this. I think it means saying, hey, I'm going to shut off the TV tonight, and I'm going to go out to coffee with somebody in our church. I mean, you go, oh, the, the not arguing part, that's super easy, right? Now you're going to get me to try to do something? I mean, I just don't want to have to do anything, and so I'll not argue. I won't, I'll try not to talk bad about people behind their back. But, but I think what Paul is saying is that we like need to love each other and care about each other and be a part of each other's lives, and we need to work at that. And so I think it, it, that Paul is saying, if you have any benefit from this baby Jesus and your connection to him, then you need to reach out to others. 
You need to build friendships and relationships with the people within your Christian community. So it has these huge implications for, for our church. Because, because even at the size of our church, being a small church, we kind of know each other. And I think we kind of like each other and we don't argue and stuff, but I don't think we're connected in the way that Paul is describing when he says one mind and one heart and mutual love. And we need to work and strive to be a church that is totally united together. But I think it has even further implications. I think it means that, that we need to care about other churches too. I think that, that we need to, to want the best for the Christian community at large and not just what's best for our church. And I know we want our church to grow and, and we have big vision here at this church and we're working towards that vision. But we have to want to see the Christian community as a whole succeed. This week, and this was really hard for me, This is I'm just going to open up and confess. Uh, I liked the other churches who have Facebook pages in Wilsonville. I liked their, their Facebook pages. And, and it's weird. I didn't think it would be a big deal when I started to search for them. I was like, eh, I just like Athey Creek and Grace Chapel, and, and I like the people there, so it didn't seem like that big a deal. But there was something in me that was like, well, if I like them, then other people are going to see that, and maybe it will be good for them. Like, <laughs> then the people will go to their church and not ours. Right? I mean, isn't there a little bit of that in us? Like, oh, like I can't do that. I mean, they're not us. But Paul's saying, look, the Christian community needs to be absolutely united if there is any connection, any benefit through our relationship with Jesus. And so, so here, just listen to this. This is very important. We're not even to the point yet, but this is so huge. We all have benefits if we have given our lives to Jesus. And Paul is saying, if you have benefits and if you are connected to Christ, then it is your job now to do your best to be completely connected, the word that we use here at Creekside, to other people that are Christians. It's a really big deal to Paul. And then this is just going to get worse and worse and worse for us. (laughs) More difficult. Because here's what he says next. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition is a word that actually came from from day laborers and they would go out and they would work and then they would get paid. Paul says, do nothing like a day laborer who just goes to work and wants their job so that they can get paid. And vain conceit is a word that means empty glory. And and when you read uh, further Philippians 3, 3 through 10, this is what you hear. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ and righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. That word for garbage right there, when I, in, my, in my preaching class in college, uh, every year, the professor of that class has his class teach through the book of Philippians. And, and everybody teaches a different passage of Scripture. And uh, this was not mine, uh, but, but Nate Glaze, I, I still remember the guy, he's the one that had this passage. And the word actually is a reference to poop, um, the, that word garbage. And he was waving around, I decided not to do it today, a fake piece of poop the whole time he was preaching in this homiletics class, right? And, and it, it stuck with me forever and ever. 
because garbage, eh, poop. Like, you get that. You get that. Paul is saying, compared to knowing Jesus, nothing else in this life matters at all. At all. And so when he says vain conceit, he's, he's giving this picture of people who have this false sense of glory who are like, look, I'm cool, I'm awesome, I'm great. And Paul's going, compared to Jesus, none of that stuff that you think makes you great is great. And so Paul says to these people, it's kind of a connecting verse. He says, hey, I want you to be totally unified and connected to that. I don't want you to do anything for yourself. If that doesn't bother you in some way, then you're not paying attention. He's saying, I don't want you to do anything for yourself. That's hard. I mean, that is maybe the hardest statement in the entire Bible. I mean, I can like not lie and not commit adultery, but don't do anything for myself? Are you crazy, Paul? And here, I think he knows what he sounds like because, because then he gives us like the key to it. He says, rather in humility, value others above yourself. The word for humility means to lower yourself, right? To come down off your pedestal or, or whatever it, it might be. And so he says, look, in humility, in lowering yourself, what I want you to do is I want you to value others above yourself. And that word simply means to raise up. I want you to make others, your mind and your heart and your soul, more important than you. Whew. That's big time. I mean, that's totally life-changing, right? You know it right now. I don't even have to try to get you to think about it or I don't have to try to prove it to you. You know right now that the most important person in your life is you. Just about everything that you do, probably, is for you. Get up and you go to work and you do it for you. Come home, you make your decision about what you're going to do with your time for you. Paul is saying if you have any connection to Jesus and you have benefits from that connection to Jesus, then be totally united with others. Don't do anything for yourself, and here's how. You look at the people around you, and you say, you're more important than me. You're more important than me. And then he, he, he just gives us one more. He says, not looking out for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Another byproduct of saying you're more important to me is that we pay close attention, not to our lives and the things that we need to get done and the stuff that we want, but to what other people in the Christian community want and need. Pretty darn heavy. I mean, if we, if we think about it, it's easy to go, yeah, I'll do it, right? I mean, isn't that easy with sermons and everything? But I mean, it's just, he's saying, if you have benefits from baby Jesus, the God of the universe who came to live among you, Emmanuel, then you need to be totally united to people. And here's how it happens you lower yourself, you make everybody else more important, and you pay attention to the things that they need above the things that you need. Wow. I think that somewhere inside of us we want to like try to find reasons that that's not, that's, that that isn't good. You know, we jump to like, well, in the plane, and they tell me that if I don't put my oxygen mask on first, then uh, I'm not going to be able to save everybody else, right? Don't, isn't, like, you probably already thought of that one. I mean, it's probably in your head like, well, Chad, the stewardess told me, and so this, this can't work because I need to take care of me. And then I can take care of everybody else. Paul's not saying you don't need to take care of yourself, but he is saying this, you need to be totally united because you look at everybody else and you say, you're more important than me. Here's the thing. 
If you're doing something for yourself, you're saying, look, I need to do this to get right with God or whatever, you should be doing that in some way so that you can help other people more. I think we're looking at this and we're going, ah, you're crazy. You just, ah, I can't do it. I, I don't want to do it. I mean, I'll just ask you these two questions that I wrote down. Are you working towards being more fully connected to this church and the Christian community at large? At large, Are you doing that? Second of all, is your life built around what is good for you or for what is good for others? I think most of us would just say, well, the answer to those questions are easy. Not doing it the right way. But I think somewhere inside of us, it's not just I'm not doing it the right way, but here's, here's kind of what we say. We say, and maybe this is probably deeper, right? This is deep. This is somewhere down there where you're just like, you don't want it to come out, but you know it's there. You're going, my life is too big of a deal to put that into practice. Isn't that kind of in you? Like, like well, I mean, I, I have a lot of things I need to get done because I want my life to go this way. And so on like a, a one level, you're like, that's really hard, and I should probably do it, but that's really hard. But on another level, you're like, that's really hard, and I'm not going to because, because me, because I'm important. I have too much to do. There's too much depending on me. And I think Paul knows that, and here's what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he's going to explain this to us. And it's one of the most beautifully written, poetic. A lot of people think it was actually an old hymn, a Christian hymn that Paul quotes from. It's beautiful. It's complicated. It's theological. It's wonderful. It's great. It's difficult to understand if you really study it. But I don't want to get any, into any of that today. As always, my sermon notes are available through your Uversion app on your phones. You can search Creekside Bible Church. You go right to my sermon notes. Full, everything that I write down in preparation for every single sermon. Or you can get them online when we post the sermons on Monday. You can find my sermon notes there. You can read all about those arguments and those difficulties and whether it was a hymn or not and all of that in those notes. But today, I just want to focus on Paul's main point. And that is that he illustrates the truth that he has already presented that we need to make others more important than ourselves. So here's what he says. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very in very nature God. Very nature translates a word that means characteristic attributes. Long story short, it's a way of saying that Jesus in his very nature is God. A lot of people want to debate that. They want to say that that Jesus isn't God, that Jesus didn't exist, that Jesus was just a man, whatever, whatever, whatever. This is what I need you to hear. The Bible makes very, very clear that Jesus was God in human flesh. The Bible tells the story of a Trinity God, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it says that the Son, Jesus, came here and was born of a virgin. The Bible makes absolutely clear that Jesus is God. There is no question. In fact, Jesus says that He's God. He doesn't use the word God, but he uses the name of God from the Old Testament. He says to the Jewish leaders, he says, they say, who are you? And he says, I am who I am. He quotes what God says in the Old Testament. He says, look, I am, I am. And guess what all the Jewish leaders do? They pick up stones to kill him because they know exactly what we sometimes forget. And that is that Jesus was saying, I'm God. 
They didn't like it very much. So whether you disagree with it, you have a problem with it, you're like, I don't understand it, whatever it might be, just know this. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God, and Paul makes that very clear here. And then he says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The literal translation there would be something to be grasped. But given his context and the context of the New Testament, what Paul is saying is simply that Jesus looked at his godness, And he said, I am not going to use that godness for my own benefits. Rather, in verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Here it is, this Christmas. Paul is saying, look, instead of saying, I am God and I will do whatever is best for me, Jesus said, I will be born on the earth. He came here as a servant. The Old Testament said that a servant would come and suffer and he would die for the sins of people. And Jesus came as that servant. And when you look at his life, he served and served and served and served. He traveled around cities preaching to people for their good. He healed their sick. He fed them. He hung out with the lowest in society. He served and served and served and served. And he took on the appearance of a man. A little baby, right? I just want you to grasp this for just, I mean, think, think about this. God. God. Creator of all. The most powerful being that you can possibly think of. Even if you don't believe in my God. It comes down to earth. In the form of a human being. And not just the form of any human being, but the form of a little tiny baby. Have you ever seen one? They're small, and they're totally helpless, and if you sit them in a forest by themselves, they die. They can't do anything. I mean, they are utterly dependent on other people. And the God of the universe, the creator of all things, said, I'm going to take that form right there. And then Paul says he humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. He came here to die. For your sins. And here's what's so crazy. The, the, the cross was such a horrible thing. Crucifixion was such a horrible thing that Roman people, they didn't even want to talk about it or think about it or look at it or anything. Their citizens had to commit high treason in, in order to be nailed to a cross. It was reserved for people that were murderers or, or people who committed theft. And, and so we look at this thing called the cross and, and, and it's easy to go, oh, no biggie, but... But it was a horrible thing. It was the lowest of lows. It's like the lowest thing that could ever happen to somebody is to be crucified. So much so, and this is crazy, I just learned this in my studies for this sermon, that early Christians tried to hide the fact that Jesus died on a cross. We talk about it a lot. Right now we're okay with that. We sing about it. But early Christians actually tried to hide it because they didn't want their God, their Savior, being known for the fact that He died on a cross because it was so shameful. So here it is. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, in your relationship with one another, be like God, who said, look, I have glory, I have perfection, I have everything good sitting here in heaven, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to earth and become the most helpless thing that, that, that exists, and I'm going to live on that sin-filled, hurt-filled, struggling planet. In order that, I can go and die the most shameful death and I'm going to do that all for the good of the people that live down there. Jesus just just says, look, it's not about me, it's about you. 
And we say, this is what's so crazy, we say it's all about me, it's not about you. I mean, the God of the universe said, I am not too prideful, too arrogant, I don't have too much to do to go down there and live on earth in order to die and save them from their sins. But yet you and I, we're like, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I need to do this thing. Oh, this sounds way more fun. And so we don't say, hey, I'm going to connect with you, I'm going to lower myself, and I'm going to place you above me. Paul looks at us and he says, let me give you two benefits of the Christmas story. The first is that we now have an example for the way that life can be lived. Where we step down off our pedestals and we humble ourselves and we live for other people. But Paul also reminds us in doing that, that the God of the universe loved you guys so much, loved us so much, that he was willing to come here humbling himself. Isn't that crazy that God would humble himself? It doesn't even make sense to my brain. He humbled himself even to the point of death so that you could be saved. And and here's the thing that I want you to hear. This is why Christmas matters. Christmas matters first for people who don't know Jesus because it shows them how much God cared about them. And it compels them to give their life to Him. Here's, here's what I want you to hear if, you're, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So oftentimes, people that don't know Jesus, they're just too arrogant to come to a relationship with Him. Not the truth. They're like, hey, Jesus, I like my life. I don't want to be bothered by your rules. I don't want to deal with having to wake up early on Sunday mornings. I don't want to worship you because I have a lot going on in my own life. And there's this utter arrogance that says, I'm just too important, just too important to give my life to you. God's looking at you and saying, well, I'm not too important to give my life for you. It's totally backwards. It's upside down. It doesn't make sense, but my encouragement to you is to say, God, if you can be that humble, then I can be humble enough to give my life to you. And and here's the other thing. If you are a Christian, if you have a relationship with Jesus and you take benefits from it, then this is what you need to know from the Christmas story. This is why it matters, because it flips life upside down and it says, look, it's not about you. If it wasn't about God for himself, then it's not about you for yourself, because compared to God, you're really nothing. And so you need to flip how you live your life and say, this life isn't about me, but it's about others, and I will do nothing out of selfish ambition, but I will do everything I can to, to look out for the interest and the benefit of others in total unity and harmony and love. Christmas matters because it flips the whole world upside down, and the truth is, apart from Jesus and His story where He came to this earth, none of us are p- capable of living for anybody but ourselves. We are utterly sinful. And we are utterly selfish. And so this morning, and over the next week hopefully, what I want you to understand is that this beautiful, wonderful passage of Scripture simply says here, here's one reason that Christmas matters. Because it shows us that the God of the universe was not too arrogant to not come down and save people. In fact, He was so humble that He was willing to die for your sins. And you should be that humble too. I'll tell you this, even if Jesus hadn't died, even if we weren't here celebrating communion, just, just think about this. Even if we, we had no idea that Jesus was here to die for our sins, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be just something we should learn from that God was so humble that He was willing to live a life for us? 
I mean, just, just if Jesus got to the manger, being God, fully God, even if he just got to the manger, it would be the most incredible story of humility that the world has ever known. But he took it a step further and he died on a cross in order that our sins could be taken away. And he takes the greatest story of humility and he multiplies it infinitely. And it makes Christmas just a huge deal for so many reasons.